Well, Christmas is, is here, and I hope that it's lots of fun for you. Uh, I, I love Christmas music. Uh, it's always fun to sing. Uh, I, I hope that uh, as you came in this morning, you had fun with the intro video, uh, and you got most of the songs. We had a fun time making that video this week. Uh, today... We're going to focus in on, uh, on one of the songs of Christmas. We're starting a series uh, that's entitled Tidings of Comfort and, and, and Joy. Uh, it surprises some people that the Tidings of Comfort and Joy is not a scripture. I asked some people this week, kind of tricking them, what uh, book of the Bible it was in. And I got Isaiah and Matthew and Luke, uh, but it's actually in the Broadman Hymnal. Uh, that's where it's found, uh, which is close to the Bible. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the words, tidings uh, of comfort and joy are lyrics of, of the uh, Christmas uh, carol, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Uh, and, and in the verses of this song, we get a, a very clear uh, presentation of Jesus, his person, who he is. There's this high Christology that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, but it's not the verses of the song that we're familiar with. It's the chorus. Uh, and in particular, we are, uh, are familiar with that phrase, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, and and. And comfort and joy. And, and we, we don't use this word ever, except at Christmas, the word tidings. Uh, that's just something that's not a part of our language. It's actually an old English word that uh, meant uh, to, to proclaim news or to, to make a special announcement. But we have carried it over into our language, and we almost always associate tidings with an angelic announcement. Whenever you receive tidings uh, uh, of, of comfort and joy, you feel like you're receiving a, a message from the angels because it's, it's almost always associated with the angels. And the reason we associate it with the angels is because most of us grew up hearing the story of Christmas, whether around a tree or in Sunday school or in a Christmas play, from the King James Version. And when the angels appear to the shepherds, who are watching over their flocks by night, the, the angel says, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Now, angelic beings have multiple roles uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, they make up the heavenly army. They make up the heavenly chorus that worship God uh, continuously. They are positioned to guard the 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 entrance to Eden, uh, and they are often seen as messengers, especially around Christmas time. And uh, uh, the the Christmas angels, in particular, bring uh, messages uh, from God of of comfort and messages of joy, and that's important because Christmas accentuates the good and the bad in life. Hey, if you listen to people talk, you can kind of know how their life is going uh, around Christmas time because whenever we're having a hard time, you can see it on people because Christmas seems to, to really highlight that. Or when you're on top of the world, uh, Christmas seems to make it uh, just a little bit brighter. I, I alluded to this uh, last week. 
but some people start decorating for Christmas in July. You know, I mean, they go to every event, every Christmas party, every person in their life has a present. They love, love, love Christmas. I mean, they've got inflatables in their yard, reindeer on their roof, eggnog in their lunch pail. They love Christmas. For other people, though, it's just, it's hard. Maybe their family can't make it in. Or maybe their family's gone. Or maybe the funds just get so tight that that takes the fun out of Christmas. Or maybe they have to deal with a hard person every year. And the thought of Christmas to them is anything but comforting. Well, the message of Christmas to those who are hurting is that God brings comfort through Jesus. Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 is one of the most familiar passages of the Christmas story, and it's where the angel brings the good news to Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little background. First century Palestine was a very religious place. I mean, everybody belonged to something. In fact, almost every person in first century Palestine belonged to one of four groups. They were either Pharisees who believed in the miraculous and they followed the law of Moses, or they were Sadducees who also followed the laws of Moses but really loved the temple, and they were uh, not as much uh, uh, believers when it came to the supernatural. Or then there were a group of Essenes who really wanted to kind of abandon temple worship, and they wanted to live in community. Uh, they wanted to live out the Torah in, in kind of communes. Uh, and then there was another group that were the Zealots who really didn't care how you practiced your religion as long as your religion led you to kill Romans. And those were the four groups that kind of made up first century Palestine. And they were very different, and they fought a lot. You read the New Testament, you see that there was a lot of tension between these groups. Uh, and uh, am I going to knock that over? The glare. Is she talking about my head? Are you talking about my head? <laughs> all right, you got her in trouble. It's all right, she can take it. These four groups fought a lot. If you read in the New Testament, if you're online, I know you have no idea what's going on right now, but any, you don't need to know. Uh, <laughs> these four groups, they, they, they fought continuously, and they had almost nothing in common except they all believed that a Messiah was going to come. Uh, and, and it was this expectation of a Messiah that, that, that led... Uh, the, the Christians to uh, 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 boldly proclaim that they're Jesus. He is the one. But if you're going to announce that there's a Messiah, you would expect some grand narrative to bring his birth in. You would expect some story that, that's fantastic and regal and, 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 and majestic. But when the Christians told the story of God's Messiah coming to earth, they chose to reveal the coming of the Messiah through an obscure couple. An obscure couple who are engaged to be married. And God comes in in such a, an unusual way. Joseph and Mary, we know, are betrothed. Betrothed is kind of an engagement on steroids, I guess. It's like amped up engagement. Uh, uh, it, it, the difference between our engagement and betrothal was that it was contractual. You know, if you broke off a betrothal or a being betrothed, uh, it, 
it, it, it was more than just returning the steak knives. It, it was a big deal. Uh, and, and it would tear families apart and people apart. And uh, uh, so, so this story picks up with this engagement that's on the rocks, this betrothal that's on the rocks. Verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mary has heard the word by this time that she's expecting a child, and she's mustered up the courage to tell Joseph. Now we know, and we're going to look at this next week, that the angel visits Mary, and she's very confident that she's never been with a man, and she knows that that which is growing with her, within her is of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't. And let's just be honest. Uh, moms want to believe everything about their kids. You know, Mom, I promised that that little bag of weed in my car was my friend's, not mine. Oh, I'm sure you're right, honey. I can't, you need better friends. Moms want to believe everything about their kids, but I can almost guarantee you that Mary's mom probably had trouble believing Mary in this instance. This is tough. Tough stuff. And you know that Joseph is having trouble and he is struggling. Struggling so much that he had decided to put her away secretly. He was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to, to divorce her, to separate her in secret. But then all of a sudden... An angel appears to Joseph. He's an unnamed angel. Next week, we'll look at the entrance of an angel, Gabriel. Maybe it is Gabriel, and Matthew just chooses not to, to share his name. But, but the angel shows up and suddenly appears to him in a dream. And he says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. You know, when an angel shows up, they almost always say, don't be afraid. My daughter, Karis, had, when she was younger, she doesn't do this as much anymore, but she used to like to jump out at me. She would hide behind doors, behind walls, behind bushes, behind cars. Anything that she could find, she would jump out at me, and every time I, I startle easily, every time I would startle, and she would just start laughing and say, you're so jumpy, and I'm like, who wouldn't be jumpy? If you're jumping out and yelling in my face, you know, that kind of does it to folks. Well, anytime an angel shows up, who wouldn't be afraid? I mean, and so the angels would often speak to them, hey, fear not. Hey, it's, it's okay. But the angel doesn't say fear not to Joseph because Joseph is afraid because this is a dream. The angel appears to him while he's asleep. And in a dream, he, he speaks to him, fear not. And the reason he says fear not is he's trying to comfort Joseph because he is afraid. He's afraid of what people will think. He's a, maybe afraid of what they'll do to Mary. He's afraid of what this will mean for her future. Maybe he's afraid of what it will mean for his future. And it's to this fear that the angel speaks. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, is, 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 is special. This child is God's child. You know, Joseph's fear 
and his need to be comforted uh, is understandable. There are things in life that we just need the hand of God to comfort us. There are a lot of seasons of discomfort, aren't there? There's, there's fear. Like Joseph, maybe some fear of the future. Some fear job loss. Some say, I'm 28 years old and I'm afraid I'm not going to meet that someone special. Some people say, I'm 46 years old and I just divorced that someone who I thought was special. Some worry about what college am I going to go to? What am I going to do for my career? Will I have enough to retire? Some people fear aging. Some people fear dying. And and fears can be crippling. And when fear sets in, we need something that can bring us peace. Sometimes people need to be comforted because of loss. Today I probably had ten conversations with people who I could tell it just hurts at this time of year. I, I wish I could say it didn't, but it, it does. When we, when we lose someone, or we lose our mobility, or we lose control, or our security is taken away, we need comfort. We need to find that which speaks to our soul and can comfort us. Sometimes we need comfort because we're just lonely. Especially at the holidays. Divorce, empty nest, kids move away, spouse has died, and we're lonely. And maybe even if it's been years since you've experienced that that moment of pain, loneliness has this way of just just, uh, crippling us. A few years ago, a person here in Kentucky had an idea. True story. They thought they would make money by posting in the newspaper that they would listen to people uh, talk for 30 minutes for the cost of $10. Most people thought that idea would never work. But the person said they had to disconnect their phone because so many people were calling just to talk. Because people are lonely. Some people are experiencing pain and they need to be comforted. Others face confusion and, and, and this confusion uh, seems to rock their world and they need to find comfort. For the last few weeks we've been looking at the book of Job and he illustrated how hard life can be and how in hardship people can wonder, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? It's in these moments, these moments, that we need to find comfort and it's A Christian, I believe that Christmas speaks comfort. Christmas brings tidings of true comfort. Why do I believe that? Well, several reasons I'd like to share with you this morning. I believe it first because God is aware of what you're going through. God, he, he, he knows what your day is like. He knows what your decade has been like. He, he understands. He understands partially because he just understands what it means to be human. Joan Osborne in 1995 came out with a song entitled, What If God Were One of Us? You remember the song? It was a song of angst and frustration. 
a poor person trying to make it through this world. And, and basically the song was saying, I wish God would show up so he could understand what I have to go through. Well, I've got news for Joan. God did show up. The Bible says that the Word became flesh and He took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, and He experienced our life. He came into His own and was rejected. He, he knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be alone. He knew what it was like to, to be confused whenever, whenever those around you leave. Of course, he knew what was going on, but he knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew all of those things. He knows what it's like. And not only does he know what it's like to be human, he knows what it's like to be you. He is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. <laughs> the angel knew... Uh, uh, Joseph's situation. He, the, Mary's pregnancy didn't catch God off guard. And I want to tell you, there is nothing in your life, not one thing in your life, that God doesn't know completely. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest, you're aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know all about it. He knows even the most minute details of your life. Jesus picks up on this in, in his teaching. And in Matthew chapter 10, we learn, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground without... God not only knowing, but saying, okay, I'll allow that. And then he says, even the hairs of your head have been counted. And you remember in another place he said, aren't you worth more than the sparrows? Aren't you more valuable to me than that? I know every detail of your life. That means he knows about your final coming up. And he understands your self-made mess. And he's completely aware of your health condition. He even knows how you sing with your hairbrush in the mirror. He is completely aware of all of your ways. There's always the debate that comes about when you talk about God's knowledge. Is his knowledge determinative or is his knowledge permissive? Does, does he make it happen or does he allow it to happen? And, and we could spend the rest of this day and the rest of our days trying to understand this and never find an answer that satisfies everyone. So what I, I would ask you as the created and not the creator to just be honest and humble and say we really don't know. But we do know this, the one who either determines or permits is one who cares about you deeply. And you can cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Joseph's world is falling apart and I'm sure he sees no possible good coming from his circumstances. Mary's going to be condemned. His future is ruined. This is not his son. There's no way this can turn out. But Christmas reminds us that God can redeem the darkest situation. And I find comfort in the Christmas story knowing that God specializes 
in bringing beauty from ashes. To be fair in this story, beauty was there all along. There was no sin. Mary had not been unfaithful. The child to be born to them was the Son of God. But I would say the story of Christmas still teaches us that God can use our failures. It was no accident that Matthew starts chapter 1 with the genealogy between Abraham and Jesus. Fourteen generations from Abraham to King David. Fourteen generations from King David to the Babylonian exile. Fourteen generations from the Babylonian exile to the birth of Jesus. And I know that that the purpose of this passage in Matthew is to connect Jesus with Abraham, the people of God, to the Savior of God's people. That's the purpose of this passage. But I want you to understand, as you look at this list, it's not the faith fulfilling these verses. It's not the holy that God has chosen, but instead He chose the broken. He chose a man who gave his wife to another man to save his own neck. He chose another man who was a murderer. He chose another man who had hundreds of failed relationships. In this list, we have a woman who was a prostitute. A host of kings who did evil. Many names of those who committed adultery. Some who caused the very downfall of the city of God, Jerusalem. And this is Jesus' human family tree. You see, the genealogy of Matthew 1 shows us the divine pattern of God taking fallen people and using them for His glory. And this pattern continues in those of us who put our trust in Christ. So many people believe that they've somehow become disqualified to serve God. My past is too jaded. I have a failed marriage or two. I've been a yo-yo in my commitment. Yeah, we're getting ready to have January 1st and we're all going to commit to do better. And, but we know that February will roll around. I hope I proclaim this faithfully to you over the last two and a half years. But God knew who you were when he saved you. And he knew who you were going to be. And he loved you as a father loves a child. With perfect knowledge of everything you would do well and everything you would do wrong. And yet, in spite of the fact that he knew you, he loved you. He loves taking the weak things of the world and bringing himself glory. Have you ever seen one of those games where you take, it's got like a cover that's like a puzzle and you take a piece out and underneath that piece there's a picture? And you have to guess what that picture is. A piece is taken away and you try to tell what the picture is underneath. You know what I'm talking about? Have you got the picture? In our life, sometimes when we take pieces out, we think that, that it is a colossal mess and no beauty can come from that and God couldn't use that and there's no way that this could bring honor to Him and there's no way He could redeem this situation. But when all of the pieces of that top layer are gone, we see what God was doing and we understand that He was in control from the beginning and even from our mess, He brings a miracle and He glorifies Himself through our lives. 
God brings beauty from ashes, and I hope that brings some comfort because I know some of you right now, you don't feel like God's doing much with your life. Or you don't feel like God could bring any good from the hardship you're facing right now. I want you to understand the God who called you according to his purpose works all things together for good. Even the hard things. Another source of comfort from Christmas is the fact that God is always near. The good news of Christmas is that God came near to earth. And when the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. I was thinking about this as I was kind of writing this point and thinking about how to apply it to your life. I always try to apply it to my own as well. And I couldn't fathom a world where God wasn't near. I, I, I just, since I, I was a kid, when I would open my Bible, God was there. And when I bowed to pray, I, I've always believed that God hears my prayers. And, and, and even when I'm trying to head down the wrong path, I know God is there. And even when I've taken the wrong path, God has still proven to be present. And when we celebrate, it's very normal for me to think about God being near. But think about Joseph. In the Old Testament, God's presence was circumstantial. The Spirit of God would come and would go. God was with them if they obeyed. God would, was with them if they sacrificed. God was with them if they had a godly leader. And it was a, a tough world. And I want to tell you that world would scare me to death because if God being near me depended on me being good enough to be near God... I'd never have a relationship with him. I'd always be worried that I may not have done enough. But the comfort of Christmas is that God is always near. As believers, we, we, when we transfer our trust from ourselves to Jesus, God is not only near, but he dwells inside of us. Did you not know that you are God's temple? The, the Spirit of God lives in you. Paul reminded the church at Corinth, everywhere we go, the, God goes. Every, uh, whatever we are doing, God is present there. God is always with us. I, I, I love this time of year because it seems like families are pushed together. I'm one of the few people in this room who probably like slow time. You know, when it gets dark earlier. You know why I like it to get dark earlier? Because when it stays dark later, I stay out later. I do more later. But it seems like when it's darker outside, family gets together more. And one of my favorite times at Christmas, or in, any time after it starts getting cold, is to light a fire, sit in the living room, and have all the family around. And the other day we had this going on. We had a fire going. We were all sitting in the living room. And I looked around, and we were all on our cell phones. Right, modern family time, right? <laughs> and as as I thought about that moment, you know, you can be with each other, but not engaging each other. And the fact that God came near to us doesn't mean that we always feel near to Him. So I encourage you this Christmas to put down your phone and enjoy God. 
to read your Bible. I'm not, I'm not against reading your Bible electronically. Praise the Lord for the words of God being readily available. But if you're like me, when I read my Bible electronically, I read it simultaneously with Facebook. And then my to-do list, and then if a text comes in and interrupts, I would encourage you some, sometime every day just to find one of these old-fashioned things, put the phone down, and just spend time with God. I encourage you to, to, to get alone and maybe even get on your knees. I, I, you don't have to have a certain posture to pray for God to hear you. But sometimes getting on your knees helps you focus on what you're doing. And your mind maybe stays a little sharper when your knees feel a little sore. I would encourage you to meditate on his goodness. The scripture teaches that we should draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. You know the old story, the couple riding in a car, been married for 60 years, uh, riding in a truck, been married for 60 years and the wife's over against one window, the husband's against another one and the wife sighs. The husband knows something up, but they've been married so long he doesn't ask anymore. Pretends he doesn't hear her. So she sighs again, louder. (sighs) He finally gives up and says, what is it? And she said, when we used to ride in the truck, we used to ride side by side. We couldn't get close enough to one another. To which he said, I never moved. Right? God is near us, and when we don't feel near to Him, God didn't move. He came into our world to be with us. The good news of Christmas is is that He is with us and He's with us always because of Jesus coming, dying, ascending to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to be with us. And one of the cool observations that one of our staff told me this week as we talked through this message is Jesus' birth begins with the message that God will be with us and when Jesus ascends to heaven, He says, go into the world and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, even to the ends of the age. Isn't it nice to know that when Jesus broke into our world to bring God to us, it was a permanent gift that he'll never get back. Back to Matthew 21. The angel tells Joseph that Mary will give birth to a son. And they'll call his name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, sin's been causing pain. It's a struggle to live and there's no hope in death. But Jesus came to save us from our sin. And through our faith in him, we have hope. And through Jesus, God brings eternal hope. That that is why every week I plead with you to put your hope in Christ. 
Because a relationship with Jesus is the only way to find lasting comfort and joy. That's it. You're not going to find it in your family. Because family's fleeting. I hate to say that around Christmas, but it's true. You're not going to find lasting comfort in your health. Because we're all in bondage to decay. You're not going to find lasting uh, uh, comfort in your wealth because you'll just leave it behind for someone else to waste. But you can find lasting comfort in Jesus because neither life nor death nor powers nor principalities nor things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of Jesus. So put your hope in him. Charles Schultz is famous, was famous because of his drawing the Peanuts cartoon each week. We're all familiar with his presentation of Linus, who's always seen carrying his blue blanket. Uh, one time he told Lucy that this uh, thin uh, piece of flannel is the only thing that's between me and a nervous breakdown. <laughs> So he held tightly to it. Of course, one of the famous Christmas scenes is Charlie Brown's Christmas. And the kids are going to do a Christmas pageant, and it's Linus's job to help them understand the true meaning of Christmas. And of course, he gets up and recites these words. Watch closely uh, as Linus shares the message. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I don't know if you noticed or not, but when he talked about the good news of Jesus, the little boy who had to hold the blanket for his comfort, was able to let it go. Some of you have been holding whatever your source of comfort is incredibly tightly. Jesus can give you comfort that doesn't fade away. Moth and rust do not destroy the treasure that you can find in Christ. I would encourage you, put your trust in Christ. What do we learn from today? God comforts us by coming to us.
And we learn that a relationship with Jesus is the only way that you can find really lasting comfort and joy. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. And I thank you, Lord, that as we celebrate this season where we acknowledge that you came near to us, Lord, I thank you that through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, we can be made right with you. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who has never put their trust in Christ, that today they would put their trust completely in you. And God, I ask that uh, you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.